Well, good morning, church. My name's Terry. It's great to be back with you again this morning in this capacity. I'm so grateful for a church where we can all use our gifts. Yeah? Yeah. I'm also grateful for uh, different uh, qualities and skills that musicians bring. I don't even know what that thing's called. I don't know where it went. But that thing's really cool. A sitar? Uh, That's because you sit it when you play and it's like a guitar. Um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, why you're here. I want to talk to you a little bit about why you got up this morning. I also want to talk to you about why you went to work this week. Why you didn't do some of the things you didn't do this week. What I want to talk to you about is motivation. Matt Foley, does that name mean anything to any of you? That ages you a little bit if it does. Saturday Night Live, Chris Farley, does that ring a bell? I am a motivational speaker, does that ring a bell? Well, if you haven't seen it, you can Google it. I really wanted to show it in church, but I was a little uncomfortable with that. But uh, you can view it in the comfort of your own home. And I'm sure if I'd mentioned it to Graham, he'd say, oh, yeah, no, go for it. Yeah, go for it. But Chris Farley plays this character, and he is a motivational speaker. And what, he's, what the skit is, is he comes into this house where this, these parents have, have asked him to come and basically motivate his two children who are in their late adolescent years and, and seem to be going off the rails a little bit. And so he comes in as only Chris Farley could with, you know, a belt that kind of is an undergirder for his midsection and, and a blazer and his hair all askew. And he's, he's Chris Farley. He's just, he's full of energy. And And the outcome of the whole thing, after a lot of laughs, is the children coming to their parents and saying, okay, we're going to fall in line because we're too afraid of that guy moving in this house. You might have gotten something different from it, but I'm actually quite fearful of people who are highly motivated. They set me back a little bit. They caused me to think a lot about who I am. Do you know people like that? Do you know highly motivated individuals? I have a neighbor who's a highly motivated individual, and I want to read a text that he sent me this week after I sent him a text telling him that I was speaking today on motivation. Oh, this is great. I, I can't even, like, give you a paraphrase of it because the real thing's just fantastic. So I sent uh, my neighbor, Paul, known as PV, I sent him a text this week and I said, hey PV, I'm speaking at church this week on motivation. Can I reference your walking streak? He has this walking streak that he's in the middle of. How many days, what motivates you to keep going, and what motivated you to start? And I'm not going to paraphrase it all, I'm going to read it word for word because nobody says it better than Matt Full. I mean PV. I started because I had a heart attack on July 6th, 2009, and was a fat slob, he says in block caps. 90 pounds overweight. Today was day 1,443. Started walking on November 23rd, 2014, and on November 22nd, it will be four years I have lost 89 pounds and 7 inches off my waist. Went from a 44 waist to a 37 waist. My greatest satisfaction 
is that now I can see my belt buckle. I don't want to miss a day. Every day I start my day at 4 a.m. with a four and a half mile walk. On December 27th, 2015, my son gave me a Fitbit and it has changed my life. Every day I walk more than 10,000 steps, which is five miles. I've been averaging 13,743 steps a day. I've surpassed 7,000 miles walking and have surpassed 3 million steps. I am 73 years old now. Good luck to you all. Paul, PGA of Canada Life member. If you ever get a chance to meet my neighbor, you will understand how I could not paraphrase that any better, because that is PV. He is that motivational guy who kind of gets under your skin a little bit because it's like, how can I compete with that? How can I set a streak bigger than almost four years of walking every morning? Um, I have a confession to make. I joined Facebook. It should maybe say, hello, my name is Terry, and I joined Facebook. Might be a more appropriate way to say it. He's one of my friends now. I wanted to pull up a couple of pictures to show you what it looks like at four o'clock in the morning when you're going to walk four and a half miles and it's minus 20 degrees and snowing out. The abominable snowman, out he goes. He is that motivational person that goes and goes and goes. What we don't hear in Paul's text is that the reason isn't so much that he felt like a fat slob and it isn't so much the heart attack and it isn't so much the Fitbit, it really is that he has a granddaughter now. So his wife would tell you that side of the story. But something on some day, at some point, something will happen to someone that will cause them to change their behavior. Something will motivate you to do something different. Um, as far as uh, scripture goes, talking about motivation, I think there's uh, likely a fairly decent motivational speaker who is maybe diametrically opposed to um, Chris Farley's approach as a motivational speaker, and his name's Jesus. And you may have heard of Jesus, and you may be familiar with some of the stories that he's told, but I find that just following the life of Jesus, I, I hope that I'll never be faced with this, but if I'm somewhere and I can only choose a section of the Bible to keep, it's going to be where Christ walked on the earth. It's going to be who he engaged with, who he interacted with, who he rolled with, so that we can really get a sense of what he's really like. I find Jesus to be a very motivating person. As we go to God's word this morning, the scripture's going to come up on the screen, but I want us to uh, read a very familiar story. Seems like it's a very familiar story downstairs today and maybe even a more familiar story upstairs. So Ben's going to put it up on the screen, and what I want to do is uh, I'd like us to read this together. And this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Familiar? We know it. We know it well. We know the characters likely. Let's read it together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Remember the story well now? Some main characters in this story. Main characters, uh, smart guys, common guys, people, like we are in touch with every day. We come across a lot of people who are way smarter than us. They're smarter than us in knowing God's word, perhaps. Perhaps they're smarter than us in the law. Perhaps they're smarter than us at mathematics. Perhaps they really know how to make that computer do things that my computer won't do, like go fast. Perhaps they're common. Perhaps they're just like us. Perhaps they're, they really, when I look at them, I, I, I look at them, I go, wow, that could be me right there. That could be me, that, except who was way more talented as a musician than I am? And, and then we start to measure ourselves against the people that we're, we're near. And I think that we do that with our neighbors too. I told you a story about my neighbor. I measure myself against my motivational speaking neighbor. I would never tell him he's a motivational speaker, by the way. It just would not go well. But we measure ourselves against people. And, and we, we often think, if I could be like that person, then I would be in good shape. If I, could, if I could just play percussion like Cuba could play percussion, I'd be, I'd be good. If I could play a sitar, I'm sure that would be like, you know, a chick magnet type thing. No? No, maybe not? If, if I wasn't like that person, then I'd be good with that. See, in this story, we, we have a few characters, and those characters are, are pretty simple characters. We have a priest who as we know, would be well-versed in things of the law, the Old Testament law. We have a Levite. These two characters are, are kind of in that group, for me, that would be like, wow, they know a lot more than I do about this stuff. I would leave that stuff to them. And what they did in this story was really not out of the ordinary, where there was 
just a, a common man on this road, which was known for thieves and robbers. And you can go back and do the historical study on this road, and, and you'll find out this was not a great place to be hanging out. If you had to get from one place to the other, you'd get there through that path as quickly as you could so that you would be safe. Because it's interesting when we read this story that it doesn't say that the man was traveling with a, a big bucket of cash or a briefcase full of cash or had a lot of gold on his, on his body. They, they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him. So they basically, the robbers would even just do it for clothes. That's just this area. That's what it was. But these two people, the, the priest and the Levite, they kind of did what most people would do in that situation. Ooh, we're not going to get involved in that. You've been in that situation? You've been in the um, figuratively changed sides of the road to avoid a situation? Do you stop when there's an accident? Do you stop when there's somebody struggling with their groceries down Main Street? See, I think we could relate to them. I think that's why Jesus' parables were so awesome, is that they made them, he, he told parables in such a way that not only could these folks that were listening to the story live relate to it, but thousands of years later, we can still relate to it. There's people I figuratively crossed the road because of, for me. But then, of course, this Samaritan comes along, and, and this concept of a good Samaritan is something that's really taken off in our, in our society. You don't have to be a church-going, Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian in order to understand what a good Samaritan is. In fact, have you heard of Good Sam's Club? It's an RV group that basically came together and got their name from Good Samaritan because that's how they wanted to treat each other in their world in their community of RVers. See, this whole thing of being a good Samaritan, you know, somebody that, that when you go back and look historically at who got along with who, yeah, that, that Samaritan's not the one you would select to say, I'm going to go and help out here. He's the opposite of that. They don't associate with Samaritans. There's a separation. But that Samaritan not only went and, and saw what the need was and helped with the need with oil and wine, understanding what the properties of those two things would be, how they could be important for this man and his healing. He didn't just do that. In the cycling community, we have a little thing that we do if we see a cyclist pulled over. It's called ease up, look up, and say, you good? That's what we do. It's kind of like an unwritten thing. And we normally hear the same thing. Yeah, I'm good. I've been on the side of the road with someone else in a flat tire, and our response is, yeah, we're good. But in the cycling community, when there's really a need, cyclists don't even have to ask. They just stop. I told you uh, several months ago about a crash that we had in the summer. One of the guys I was riding with had a crash, and we had to call an ambulance, and he's great now. He's, he's awesome. Um, but so many groups of cyclists stopped. They didn't... They didn't ease up, head up, and ask, are you good? They stopped. Kind of a Samaritan approach. I would assume most of those cyclists that I saw out that morning, because it was a Sunday morning, they're likely not God-fearing, church-going, Bible-believing Christians. They're just people who have bought onto the concept of good Samaritan in our world. I think it's a great thing. I think our world's a better place because we care for each other. But this good Samaritan was different. 
he not only stopped with the immediate need and helped with the immediate need, he took ownership of the situation. He helped out in a way where he really bought in. He said, no, you know what, this is likely going to influence my plan because I was going from here to there and I had a schedule to be there by tomorrow night and now I'm going to have to stop and stay with this guy overnight to care for him. And, and the whole schedule went out the window. The whole thing was off the tracks. Or maybe their schedules are different than ours. Maybe there wasn't much of a plan. He had lots of time. But the point is, he stopped and he made an investment in this man. Put him on his own donkey. Took him for care at an inn. Foot the bill for the inn. And not only did he do that, not only at his expense did he take care of the inn, he gave him extra. And said to the innkeeper, I'll be back. If there's more expense, we'll take care of it then. Boy, that's a, that's a super good Samaritan in my opinion. Because I think many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we would want to stop and help someone in need. Am I right? I do. But the question is, what motivated him to do that? What motivates you to do what you do? What gets you from where your plan is going to where life takes you? You know the old expression, life, the thing that happens between our plans? See, this life that we're in, <clears throat> this walk that we're in, this journey that we're on, this road that we travel, God places significant events along the way, and sometimes right in the way. So that, so that we can be on his plan, not on ours. So what motivated you to come to church this morning? What motivates us to do the things that we do? Can we brainstorm for a second? Are we allowed to, to talk in church? I think so. I think we've seen that precedent here. Give me some of the things that motivate you. Just yell them out. Fellowship. Fellowship. Okay. Can I just back up a little bit? Let's generalize a little more. What motivates you? Period. I did say what motivates us to come to church. That motivates me to come to church. Fellowship for sure. Let's just back up and generalize it. Make it bigger. What motivates you? A goal. Okay. What else? Your kids. Yep. Thank you. What else? Friendship. Thank you. Somebody else back here? Talents. Okay. Peer pressure. Yeah. See, all those things were positive things. Yeah. Punishment. Does punishment motivate you? Oh, all the kids are downstairs, and that never affected us, right? We're past that. Salvation. Thank you. Money. Honest answer. Did your mom say to say that? Pardon? Family. Sure. Responsibility. Yeah, why'd you go to work this week? Responsibility. I got a mortgage to pay. I got kids to educate. I like food. <laughs> yeah. What else? How about a promotion? Meeting a deadline? How about your lifestyle? Security? Pardon? Comfort. How about desire to be the best? Muhammad Ali said this, I hated every minute of training, but I said don't quit. 
Suffer now and live the rest of your life as a champion. Desire to be the best. Money, rewards, helping others. There's a lot of things that motivate us. It's interesting, though, if we want to look at how to get motivated, because a lot of us want to have an experience, a a life-altering experience like my neighbor Paul. We want to get started on the 1,440, it'll be 44 now, because he sent me that yesterday, 1,444 days of walking. So where do we start? How do we get going? And I'd like to propose this. I'd like to propose that on that road that day and that story that Jesus told, the Good Samaritan, this wasn't the first time he stopped. I don't think it was the first time he'd experienced something like this where there was a need and and he came over and he, he assisted with the need. I might be wrong, but I also happen to know that if my neighbor wants to walk five miles, he either didn't walk five miles the first day or it hurt a lot the first day. So I don't know about you, but sometimes we've got to start, you know, with something that's a little more manageable. So, man, I really, I got to get out of bed and get to church. Oh, Sunday morning, the time change, oh, that excuse is gone. I had an extra hour this morning. I didn't notice if we got going on time this morning. Maybe we even started on time this morning. Maybe you were on time today. But the excuses sometimes, some, there's ways that you can be helped with those. They can be taken away. But, but, you know, you still had to get up this morning, and you still had to pull yourself together in some way, shape, or form, lay out, lay out your clothes last night and be organized, or maybe just put on the clothes that were laid out for you to wear to church. But you had to get here. You had to do something to start. So I started with breakfast. I had to eat breakfast this morning. That was the start of myself getting to church today. I started with breakfast. That's pretty simple. Is that a goal that you could have that would be achievable? Sure. How about we back up a little more and just start by pushing the button on the coffee maker? If I could just push that button, then I'm going to be better off. I'm going to be on my way to goal, to getting to that goal. See, I don't think it starts with motivation. I think it starts with action. I think motivation starts with action, or it's a result of an action. So you could say, you know, on this road, what was the action that caused the Good Samaritan to be motivated to do something? Well, you could say it was the action of the robbery was was the thing that started the whole thing. You could say it was something that happened in the past with the Good Samaritan that we're maybe not aware of, but but maybe at some point when that Good Samaritan was was a young boy, he he was raised in a home or in a in a culture where we just, we do things for others, and we, he saw it modeled. And then, you know, at one point, he was, he was a small child about this height who read Scripture in church this morning. Do you not love hearing children read Scripture for us in church? An action. A young man who just took an action likely was asked if he would read, and he said yes. It starts with an action. This morning, your pastor asked you if you would be involved in something. And I've said this before from this platform. Say yes, and then pray and ask God if he would like you to do it differently. In other words, say yes when given an opportunity, and see if God will move in your heart for you to change your story to no. Because you know what we do. We say, oh, Pastor Graham, 
I'll have to pray about that. And that sounds very spiritual. But there's no movement there. Prayer is significant. I'm not, I'm not saying anything insignificant about prayer or that it's not beneficial. But maybe as believers, we need to have a yes first mentality. And then ask God to confirm it for us. I'll be there on Thursday, on that Thursday. I'll be there. I'm also going to pray about it. Starts with an action. I was doing some reading this week, and I'll tell you, if you want to find some self-help on motivation, the internet is like a beehive. It's fantastic. I read this fellow named James Clear, and he says, motivation is often the result of action, not the cause of it. Getting started, even in very small ways, is a form of active inspiration that naturally produces momentum. He says, I'd like to refer to this effect as the physics of productivity, because this is basically Newton's first law applied to habit forming. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Once a task has begun, it's easier to continue moving it forward. So once I'm out of bed and I've pushed the button on the coffee maker, then it's easier to get the coffee and drink it. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I've seen this in my house pretty much every day as long as I've been married. Then the movement starts and it continues. And in my house, the person that pushes the, well, sometimes I push the button, that's as good as it gets for me. But the person that consumes that coffee then starts into this flurry of activity and the motivation increases even though maybe my wife has not had a great night's sleep. But now that object in motion is getting stuff done. And in my home today, there's a turkey in the oven. It started with coffee. And when I get home in the next hour or hour and a half, I'm going to have a turkey dinner. Because Matt came home from school and Matt likes turkey, so we're having turkey today. But let me tell you, that action started a long time ago, way before the button on the coffee maker for my wife. She, like many of you, has formed a habit of movement, of action. And then the motivation follows that. James Clear finishes his quote by saying this, one of the keys to getting motivated is to make it easy to start. Make it easy, easy to start. So, what is it from this parable that Jesus is saying to us about what we need to start if we've not started. Class, what is he asking us? Love your neighbor. Who is my neighbor? For me, the gentleman I told you about this morning lives right across the road from me. When he's done cleaning his driveway, he can move right over to mine. It's awesome. And ours can move right over to his. And my neighbor is the town of Stouffville. When they say, can you guys help us as a church? They're our neighbor. 
A neighbor is someone close to you. It's someone maybe who shares an office space with you. It's someone that maybe you're in a senior sales position and they're in a junior sales position at work. It's someone that maybe you teach them, they're in your class. Or maybe they're your teacher, you're in their class. Your neighbor. I um, would love to tell you that every neighbor I've had in my life has been awesome. Just like Paul and his wife Jan, who are the third set of grandparents for my children. That's what they're like to us. They're wonderful people. They care for us in ways that we're surprised by often and we're humbled by more often than that. They have enjoyed watching our children grow up from the times when they would stand in our front bow window to now I have to look up to my son to talk to him now. They've watched that whole process. And those neighbors are really, really easy to love. So easy. I would do anything for them. I've done pretty much anything for them. I have some doors and drawer faces to a vanity in their home in my shop right now because they said, we need this. And I said, I got this. I've been on their roof after the tree fell on their house and they weren't in town with my chainsaw. Those people are easy. They're easy to love. Do you have neighbors like that? The, the ones that are easy to love? Yeah, I guess so. I never really thought about it. Yeah, but do you have the other ones? Yeah, I have those other ones. I have those neighbors. You know the ones I mean, the ones that are hard to love. The ones that, um, you know, the muffler on their son's car is, like, could you change that up already? It's pretty loud. And, like, does he really need a job that he has to leave at 6 o'clock in the morning? Like, that's pretty annoying. Do they play their music too loud? Do they have a pool party that goes on too late into the night? Do they cut their grass on Sundays? Hmm. Oh, not in the neighborhood I grew up in. No way don't you cut your grass on Sundays. Because in that home, we didn't swim in our pool on Sundays. Because that was a different world, wasn't it? But see, there's things for me and there's things for you that kind of, they're kind of like that stick of bamboo under your fingernail. They just, it just grates there. And they're not the easy ones to love. And I'll tell you, when it comes to motivation and to loving others, there's going to be some speed bumps along the way. There's going to be those times when, when the speed bumps, is, it's just your long list of excuses. Oh, I helped them. Someone else can help them. My blower's almost out of gas. If I do their laneway and we get more snow before I can get to the gas station, I'm not going to be able to get out of the driveway. They don't believe what I believe. Not only do they not believe it, they're pretty in my face about what they believe, and I've had enough of it. Because I'm not a Bible-thumping type of Christian. I'm a relationship-building kind of person. So this in my face about what you believe and it's different than me, <sighs> clean your own driveway. What do you mean your car won't start? Go buy a booster pack. I have one. What other excuses can you muster up? Because I think the truth of it is if we get into that habit of, of 
of stopping when we get to the speed bump instead of recognizing that the speed bump is there for a reason, then we're going we're gonna to just stall right out and we're not going to accomplish anything. We're not going to do as Christ asks us to do, and that's to love one another, love your neighbor. I think the greatest thing about motivation is that motivation for us as believers is God-given. We don't have to have any secret formula, any secret way of trying to figure out how do I do what, what PV does? How am I going to get 1,443 steps in? Where do I start? The truth is, the action for our love and our act of love toward others has already been established. If you have your Bibles, I didn't put this on a slide, but if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John 4 and verse 7. And if you don't, just jot it down or look it up on your, on your device. But I'm going to go to it quick. So, it says this, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. I'm just going to stop right there. One of the uh, challenges that you have when your wife plays uh, with the music team that leads on the Sunday that you're preaching is you have a temptation to say, What are the songs for this morning? And I really try hard to avoid finding out what they are. But I'll tell you, if what we sang this morning, coupled with the fact that our ability to love comes from that Yahweh, if that doesn't motivate me to love, I'm not sure what God's going to have to do to rock my world. The great I am. I didn't sing much of that song. The words kind of get fuzzy as they got glossed from an understanding. My eyes seemed to understand what that meant this morning. Yahweh, the great I am. Let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And then if we go down to verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. The action that starts the motivation in us loving our neighbors was God's action. It's not my action. It's not being raised in a home that said, let's love others. Let's love our neighbors. My parents have done that. My parents do that. My parents are in a beautiful relationship with, with a Chinese couple that live across the street from them in London. <laughs> my dad's teaching her how to drive. That's, my wife laughed the loudest because, well, I, we've driven with my dad. But my mom's teaching them how to cook what we eat, teaching them how to bake. My mom's pretty good in the kitchen. They're teaching um, the young ladies specifically how to learn English. Pretty good textbook for learning English right here. You don't have to go to, don't have to, go to chapters and look for uh, an ESL book. Great opportunity, great opportunity. That love 
that was modeled for me from my parents, that wasn't even the start of what can motivate me to love others and to love my neighbors. It started with God. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, and I think we could insert the word neighbor for brother, he is a liar. He is deceived. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what gets you up? What gets you to work? What gets you to church? What causes you to accomplish the things you accomplish? See, I think there's so many things that can give us those motivations. And I think that if this room were full of non-believing people, people who aren't followers of Christ, a message like this could appeal to them as well because we're all looking for ways to keep going. We're all looking for ways, as Graham alluded to with Galatians 6, 9, to not give up. But for us, for you, if you know Christ this morning, if you have accepted him as your savior, as your sacrifice, you have his love in you. You have the start of your motivation to love your neighbors. I, I would love to tell you that this is really easy to do all the time. I would for sure be able to tell you that that love of God is in me. I am a child of the king. The great I am, he's my king. And there's days when I see the traveler and I want to go this way. Having God's love in you isn't, isn't the surefire trump card that gets laid on every situation and makes it perfect. It still requires work. It still requires discipline. It still requires desire to want to love your neighbor. I have people in my world, every day I say, Lord, just tell me to love them. Because outside of God's love in me, I would not love them. I would not choose to love them. I would not desire to love them. I would say, God, I've got all the excuses in the book. Norm's better with that guy. Send Norm. I'll encourage him. <laughs> go, Norm, go. I am a motivational speaker, after all. I live in a van down by the river. See, more of you knew than you were letting on. As we go from here today, would you take and just put a little action ramp in your life? Put a little tiny thing that will start your actions toward loving someone that you have a difficult time loving. I have a sense from how Graham's introduced the series we're heading into that he'll be reminding you of some of those people. I have a sense that I'm going to be reminded of some of those people that I've actually gone so far on the opposite side of the road that I've forgotten they're even there. Would God help us to love our neighbors? He will. Take a little step today to loving your neighbor. Think of something practical you can do. Maybe it's a dozen cookies to that neighbor who wants to pound you on the head with what they believe. Maybe you can like 
leave it with a note on their doorstep and ring the bell and run away. But it's something. Because you have no idea how that may be received. Would you take something small today? Start a little ramp that will get you moving. And once you're moving, an object in motion remains in motion. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that in our lives, you know what we face. We don't have to have the plan all worked out. We don't have to know what road we're going to travel this week and what we'll see on the side of the road or in the middle of the road in front of us. We don't have to know that. We don't have to have it figured out. It's not our responsibility. It's not even our job. But it is our road. And the road you have ahead of us is the one you have planned for us. So as we go down that road this week, will you remind us just to start with something? Lord, I would love it if every one of my neighbors knew my relationship with you. I would love that. And I'm a long way from that. So would you even um, burn in my mind something little that I can do to start that process today? And Lord, as we go and as we do those things, would you also remind us that it didn't start with us, it started with you. That means it can be done. That means we can love our neighbors. It means we can accomplish the things that are ahead of us that you call us to do. Even when we screw up and have to hit the reset button and say, Lord, I failed. Help me again and start again. You're an awesome God. We uh, are often overwhelmed by who you are. Would you take us in those times of, of just being overwhelmed by who you are and remind us that because of who you are, we are. I am loved, and I have your love in me with the purpose of loving my neighbors. Thank you for being a good father. We love you. You are in partnership with God all the time. Whether you like it or not, He's trying to work with you, in you, and through you. May you be blessed as you continue to see his interruptions in your life. May you see those interruptions as opportunities to be all you are supposed to be. To live in that freedom without the need to perform right but simply to be who you were called to be. Free to love, that others might know that they are loved. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being here. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. It's better when we can connect. And I believe that it happens. Individually and corporately, we get those chances to connect. As you go again, you're being sent. You're going out. And as you go, remember that we're Christ-centered, we're spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And the mission 
Well, that's for everyone, everywhere, all the time. <laughs>